welcome to Chats, a television podcast, season 15, Chats 8. Each week, we watch and discuss two episodes of the Netflix original series, Sense8. Now, my name is Alan, and I am joined by the architectural form of all of my memories. It's Magellan, everyone. Yeah, I think we'll put the childhood stuff up here. We'll put the... Um, what other, whatever, what other kind of memories you got? Oh, there's a lot of trauma up there, bud. I don't know where you want to store that. Put that in the attic. I <laughs> lock the attic. It's overfilled. Don't care. Hopefully it doesn't burst. It probably won't. It's fine. This is what I call suburban brutalism. Oh my god. <laughs> that feeling when you're talking with your weird villain daddy about architecture, but you're not talking about <laughs> architecture. Uh-huh. So relatable, bestie. So true. Bestie, what? Hey, hey how are you? <laughs> Now, that pause, my friends, was pregnant. Uh, <laughs> you can't tell. We're referencing iconic episodes of Sense8 Season 2, um, and we're here to talk about them. But first, hi, Magellan. I am doing just swell. It's a teensy bit chilly over here in Massachusetts as we reach the, the regular 30-degree weather. Um, we had a little bit of snow, but I went for a short run today, and I'm going to wrap some gifts later. Um, and my mom helped me make soup earlier today, so... We're sitting pretty. We're sitting nice and warm and cozy here in the appartement, as the French would say. I know seven I languages. That. I love that. Uh, I know seven languages and bad French, I believe, was the line. Why are, Why is it that the mediocre episodes are the ones where I remember the most obscure lines? <laughs> yeah, you really have an encyclopedic knowledge of these two scripts. It's impressive. I, I After you kissed me, I got married. Anyways, here's Poppy right here. He's sitting literally <laughs> right off frame. It's totally fine. Hey, I've been sitting here for about a year waiting for you to show up just so we could do this interaction. <laughs> <laughs> kind of <laughs> awkward, kind of funny. Um, how yeah. are you? I'm okay. I definitely am feeling pre-sickness right now, and there's a lot of sicknesses to choose from. So yeah. who's to say which one of those things is about to happen to me? Um, so... You know, fine, but not not the best, which I think is also a great way to describe these episodes of Sensei, uh, funnily enough. So, Funnily. We're not talking about funnels, Magellan. We're funnily. talking about... We're talking about season two, episode four, Polyphony, and season two, episode five, Fear Never Fixed Anything. Mm-hmm. Polyphony was written by Lillian Lana Wachowski and J. Michael Straczynski. It was directed by James McTeague, and this season aired May 5th, 2017 on Netflix. Majon, what happened in Polyphony? In this episode of Sense8, Kala and Caffius are caught in the middle of angry protests. Leto looks into a journalist's disappearance and uncovers new info on Angelica's cluster. Majon, do you know what a polyphony is? Yeah, there's a scene in the episode where they put in this random moment of two authors talking about it just so Amanita can leave and say... You know, I think Nobi, you're experiencing a bit of a polyphony right now. What a great, <laughs> what a great theme! And even though I didn't touch the UI, the Netflix UI like sprang open and like just said, "It's ne- uh, Sense Eight, Season Two, Episode Blah Blah Blah, Polyphony." And I was yeah. like, "Huh? This show is getting more and more meta by the episode in ways that I do not like." Uh, your yeah. example there is not the most egregious of them. Um, but yeah, polyphony, the style of simultaneously combining a number of parts, each forming an individual melody and also harmonizing with each other. Come on. That's just that's just sensatitude. That's sensatedness. 
yeah, if you can't tell, we were a little bit sour on these episodes. Um, I would honestly say the second one a lot more than this sour one. Um, Polyphony is fine. It's We're still getting some of the things that we love, but uh, some really muddled themes. I texted you uh, towards the end of the episode, and I said, uh, Sensei is writing a lot, lot, lot of checks uh, for itself mm-hmm. right now, thematic checks, and mm-hmm. I do not expect these to get cashed. And then I believe you said uh, they may or may not get cashed next episode. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you think of Polyphony in particular? I'm going to try really hard in this episode. I, I will say I don't think I gave both the episodes entirely their due because I was feeling a little under the weather. I was home from work. I was kind of half watching, taking notes, and half thinking about what I was going to do like after I watched the episodes. So I'm not going to say that I was a perfect viewer here uh and i'm gonna try to not spend the time being like "Eh, this part that part but i think what the problem that sensei is running into and i can sort of you know give it credit for doing the best that it can in the face of this problem is in season one when you're just introducing the characters to everybody you are painting the characters with a really broad brush And you can get away with that because you're spending realistically in a 45 minute episode, like maybe six minutes, five to six minutes with each character, Mm -hmm. uh, depending some episodes, characters didn't show up at all uh, or very minimally or there to support another character. So, you know, there's not like a ton that you need to do in terms of having really rich, nuanced explorations of the worlds that the characters are in and i think the downside of that when we first started watching the show is like ah this feels like a little overly simplistic or cliched or stereotypical at worst but now the problem that we run into uh, as we have known the characters for longer is everybody has like a couple plot beats or side characters that they're juggling Mm -hmm. and it just feels like so brief of a time to spend with each individual character. And it seems incredibly difficult to like manage all of that storytelling at, at once. So, and it, that's not to say that it's not possible. There are definitely shows that have been able to do like eight different plots simultaneously happening. But I feel like a lot of television shows that do that collapse under the weight of having to like carry all of those things at any one time. Um, And this episode and the next one to me are just indicative of like there's a lot of stuff going on and I'm not super into like half of it. And Mm -hmm. uh, this was just an episode where particularly there were a set of plots in it that I was like, meh. These are not my favorite parts of the show. Yeah, that's a great point about like actually effectively managing eight full plots. Because the difference between this and season one is that season one, some of those plots were like so simple you could explain the entire season in like a moment. Uh, Nomi experience. Well, Nomi's a little bit more complicated in season one, but like Kala marries a guy does is unsure if she wants to commit to this guy. That's, like, the gist of it. And then there's more about, like, Menendra and, you know, Rajan's family and everything else. But, like, it can be boiled down really simply. The problem that we're running into, and I notice this over and over again, is that it's twofold. Number one, uh, everybody's doing, like, really, like, they have, like, pretty complex plot lines, considering that there's eight of them. 
like all of these plot lines have like significantly grown in complexity to the point where I feel like I don't have time with any of them, meaning like meaningful time. Mm-hmm. And number two, we're getting a lot of scenes that seemingly are not progressing plots. They are just there to like convey right. community or emotion or vibe. You know, I think you wrote in your notes somewhere right. that this season is like almost 50% quote unquote music video sequences. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, and I think I'm beginning to tire a bit of that just because of what you're saying that there's like a lot that you've set up and a lot thematically that you're saying you're going to deliver on and it's confusing the stakes for me to say like we're getting chased by bpo and here's all the things and now we're going to do kind of like a fun little silly jack johnson song in the middle of a you know, so meditation dumb. time or whatever um and not to say that you can't do those kinds of tonal shifts and i think the show has done them really capably in the past but you can sort of feel like different creative directions happening here and uh i don't think the show at this point knows exactly what it is it it wants to be doing and i think the other thing um just on the point of like ensemble storytelling is what is amazing and unique about Sense8 is you have these eight characters who are in totally different settings with totally different casts around them, totally different themes that they are themselves most immediately interacting with. And they have this link to one another where they are finding commonalities for in these disparate circumstances, which is what is incredible and cannot be replicated about Sense8 as a show and what makes me continue to love it. What's hard is, you know, I've watched a bunch of Game of Thrones lately, and you can tell like eight different parallel stories in Game of Thrones, but you can be like, hey, this person is like that person's brother, Mm -hmm. or like this person just heard about what's happening in the other plot that we haven't seen for a couple episodes, but they're talking about it. Or like these two people are directly going to war with each other, and we're seeing two sides of the conflict. And in Sense8, you don't have that overlap between our protagonist characters or our viewpoint characters. You know, we're not following Felix on his day. Hmm. We're not hanging out with Amanita by herself. She's always on the phone with Nomi to justify the fact that we're with her, right? So that's part of what makes it hard, too, is like you have all of the stuff you have to accomplish in ensemble storytelling, but it's even worse. It's even harder to do because the plots aren't interacting with each other beyond the characters kind of like confiding in each other or peeking at what's happening to each other or things like that. Um, so it's, it's really tricky to make it all work here. Yeah. They, they increased their own difficulty and maybe that's because it's the second season. You want to increase the complexity of your show. I totally get that. I think what's most emblematic of how I felt about these episodes is like analyzing Toby on performance as Caffius and the introduction of, um, of Zakia into his plot line, because Mm -hmm. Zakia is not a character that can hold up an entire calf, like season of Caffius story. And mm-hmm. so they're just injecting things into his story, but there's no like earnest, lovable character at the center of it. And we've talked about how that's like a, a acting difference between Amal Amin and, and this guy, but like 
there is just there's less heart and more like things happening and that's what makes it really hard like you said at the very top and i don't this is why like i don't want to go see my scene on these episodes personally we usually yeah. do that because yeah. we're a deep dive podcast and we have fun doing that but like these episodes just like don't lend themselves to that because like so many things happen that in actuality mm. very few of those things matter um right quantity of scenes number of plot that. lines all of that is higher in number it's like how you know here's a weird comparison i think in like sometimes in video games especially when they get like trilogies the first game will be like kind of janky but like earnest like mass effect right and then the second game is like we nailed what we wanted to do we understand the tone and the idea and we're just putting more of it we're doubling everything double the plot line double the characters and like sometimes sensei feels like that where it's like okay more things more plot lines doesn't make the show better it just makes it con complicated and i get to the end of it and i'm like uh yeah I, all of these things happened in front of me like this and that and the other thing did happen i didn't feel much about any of them though um and so maybe that's damning with faint, faint praise in a way yeah and i think the thing to hold on to is like they're doing something incredibly ambitious and unprecedented in television storytelling and so you know the wachowskis and jms here are encountering like brand new storytelling problems in a way um yeah. in in some ways you know it's things that are um things that they've addressed in their own movies and, and tv shows before but like nobody has made the show where eight characters are psychically linked to each other and experience each other's thoughts and feelings all the time which is more than just like a narrative conceit it has ramifications for how the show is shot for how information moves through the story um and i think uh i continue to enjoy like the boldness of sensate and the spectacle of it and uh and i think the characterful stuff of our viewpoint characters is still really wonderful and i'm saying this because you know we're we're kind of so blah on these episodes it's because we really really love the show and just yeah. Oh, yeah. Want it to, you know, be a little bit better than it is, I guess, at this at this point anyway. Um, yeah. yeah. It's in no way to say that they're not doing things right. Like I write I write yeah. down all my notes about the two protests that are at the center of this first episode uh, of polyphony where uh, in India at the, the temple uh kala is noticing that people are like protesting after the stabbing and there's added security and people um you know there's like the politics versus religion debate happening there super interesting on paper because it does tie into like real issues that are and have been happening in india for years uh meanwhile simultaneously uh over in nairobi we're dealing with a water crisis and like the, the commodification of water um, and how that shouldn't actually be something that you have to pay for. But, like, because it is, the people who pay the highest bill are the uh, least economically stable. Uh, and, again, all of that sounds so cool on paper. Like, I tell you that, like, oh, in Sense8 Season 2, they do a plot about, like, the water crisis in, in Nairobi. And it's like, yeah, but you know what it is? It's just a bunch of people holding up bottles and being like, I want water. And a guy going, you have to pay for water. And they're like, that's not fair. And he goes, okay, fair enough. And then gives them water. Like there's there's it's like they they outlined they drew the outline and didn't color it in or something um i felt that through right. that entire sequence and how they're paralleling the two protests and then at the end of it uh i think it was riley or somebody like unrelated and oh no it's nomi i think nomi yeah because amanita is 
fleeing BPO people or something. Yeah. Um, and Nomi is stressed about that the whole time, and so she ends up overlapping with Caffius and Kala because the stress is reminiscent of, of their stress, I guess. Yeah, and and Amani asks her, like, what's going on? And she basically says, like, a lot of things are happening at once, which is, like, a great line if you analyze mm-hmm. it and think about how the season is, like, continuing to underline that being a sensate is sort of like being on the internet. It's sort of like being on social media and worrying about things that you cannot personally control and being like, mm-hmm. there are all these horrible things happening all over the world, and I know about all of them in detail, and I can't right. do anything. Like, that's pretty interesting. But, like... Such, like, two huge sequences with tons of extras and all of this stuff just to continue to, like, further a, a theme that we already knew, which is kind of... I came out of it like, yeah, things are always... Something is always happening. Like, okay, I guess. What are you, yeah. We're not going to do anything about it. Yeah, and it kind of... uh It kind of arrives at this conclusion of all of this stuff is going on and it's the the sort of upsetting reality that you know we're all guilty of living in the internet age which is we have unprecedented access and visibility to like the crises of the world and that has not meaningfully changed many people including myself many people's actions in response to those crises right yeah uh and you know, Nomi's girlfriend was on the run from like government agents, so I'll give her a pass <laughs> in mm-hmm. this case. But the line is like, uh, you know, all this stuff is going on, but like all I cared about was was you or if was you were you. safe. And uh, I think we can even remove that from any sort of criticism and just say like maybe this is even the thing that the episode's pointing out is like when those larger issues are present, we sometimes like retreat to our hyper-personal lives and our immediate circles to like find things that we can resolve. Um, And I don't, you know, have feelings about that one way or the other, but I think that's just a truth about living in such an interconnected age uh, that this, this plot lays bare in a way that kind of, rings hollow because it's a hollow reality of of life yeah if anything that's like that's a great point it feels hollow because it feels like that in real life it feels that same way when i read about you know protests happening in the middle east like people who are you know not too far from where some of my family live are engaging in like militant protests and i'm like oh my god that's so crazy anyways i'm gonna go drink a beer now like (laughs) right Right, that's what being alive today. What else do you? What else do you do? Right, it's sort of the kind of wild thing about being so interconnected is you have to ultimately make the decision to not care about certain things or to care less about things than you would if it was happening right next to you. Because when you can know about everything you can't fully care about everything because then you will never be able to move again. Yeah, You'll just yeah. be like feeling all the time. All the time. Um, it's a really, really strange dilemma. Um, yeah. I think it was uh, a Patriot Act, Hasan Minaj's Netflix show from a couple years ago. And it ended in 2021 and literally his like last, like 
uh, monologue was about this very thing, which is that, you know, you watch a show like that, which is about the news. It's about like current events and analyzing current events uh, mm -hmm. in a comedic way, usually, uh, but also like in a level headed fair way. And it's like, OK, you learned all the stuff, you know, what's going on in Asia, you know how they're handling COVID, you know how they're handling protests in Europe. And you know about like this conflict in Africa and somebody online is always telling you, why don't you care more? Why don't you care more about this or that or the other thing? And the truth is, you can like, like you're saying, you can learn about all of it. But what do you choose to care about? You have to pick your battles. And, you know, Nomi chooses Amanita in that moment. And that's, like, really strong. And I think that brings me to my other point, which is that, A, the scene right before that is the authors that Nomi and, and Nita are interested in talking about and, and seeing uh, come to the bookstore to have this talk about polyphonies. And they say that, you know, these days we see more images in a week than people used to see in their entire lifetimes. Because we're overexposed to imagery right. and trauma and video right. and everything on the internet that we cannot, we literally cannot process all the information we get. This is true today. It's actually more true today. It gets worse and worse all the time. Uh, mm -hmm. It fucking sucks. And I think that Sense8 Season 2, where I'm finding like enjoyment and, and um, like worth out of watching it, is analyzing it from a like early 2016 uh, sort of like left leaning perspective. Um, mm, okay. because we are in the era of like Donald Trump is running for president. It feels entirely believable that he might win. Like we haven't hit November yet, but it's, it's on people's mind. People are worried about it. By the time this, the season is out, it's extremely prescient. Now we're in May of 2017. It's all the way prescient. Uh, and so there's this feeling that's become more and more strong in that, that time period that like, we can't control anything. All we can do is like to consume more information. And we felt a big, I think America and Americans in particular, but a lot of people in the world felt this like a disenfranchisement and lack of faith in their authorities. Um, that too is why like even in Caffius's plot, because like the showrunners don't know too much in detail about like what's specific specifically happening with the water crisis in Kenya. Instead, it's about like, I don't want to be a politician because politicians can do you wrong. And what happens when they don't have your best interests in mind? Like all of it just boils down to like, we are worried about like what, what is happening in the world. And we don't, we, we feel like we can't do anything about it. Uh, and it's hitting mm -hmm. that from a lot of angles that are kind of coming to the same conclusion. That's like control what you can. And that is a good, healthy conclusion. That I think people can get out of this time, but mm -hmm. it's just, it's kind of like underlining, underlining, underlining what you and I, and like people watching the show should already know. I hope. Um, right. And maybe it was more pressure at the time. Maybe it felt like, yes, finally a show is like talking about the present moment and Sensei is doing it. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I feel like I just said a lot of words, but that was like my main thrust with this episode. So it sounds like you weren't super satisfied with, because this montage launches the next phase of Kala and Kafius's plots. It sounds like you weren't satisfied with where the two of them are going after this moment. Not really. I don't feel like they have, like, interesting momentum, so to speak. Um, like, Kafka's yeah. getting on daytime television was, like, surreal and interesting. And I was like, whoa, that's so weird. Like, they're lighting this, like, daytime TV, too. Yeah. But what's what's our conclusion here? We expect leaders to take us where we want to go, but what if they don't? It's such a, like, we're worried about Trump kind of thing to say, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. How did you feel about all that stuff? Um, yeah, I think, I think this moment is trying to 
you know, this montage is about positioning Kala and Caffius in the middle of these crises in their particular countries and kind of asking like, well, what are they going to do about them? Um, and for Caffius, it just, yeah, feels like a plot that doesn't fully uh, explore or communicate the nuances or the various like stakeholders in that particular issue. Uh, and so it feels like a kind of a kind of blithe thing to be like, he's going to become the politician that, that changes things. Yeah. yeah. Um, and also like, are we just, does Silas Kabaka not exist anymore? Did we just decide we're not like that stuff is done? I it suppose feels, he seems satisfied and happy in his little corner of, of Kenya. <laughs> like, yeah. It just feels like we're hitting reset on the stakes of the Caffius plot in the middle of season two. <laughs> yeah. Why, why are we doing that? I don't know. It's, it's strange. Um, and then the Kala plot, you know, she's not a very active participant in her plot as of right now. Um, she kind of wants to leave her plot mm-hmm. in her conversation with Wolfgang about being a bad girl, wanting to do bad things. Um, and that's a whole thing we can talk about. Yeah. Um, but I'm more optimistic, I think, with Kala that she's going to make some kind of a stand or something. I don't know. I guess we'll see. But Yeah, because Kala's plot, at least in this episode, is more like people are calling her the devil because she married Rajan, to my understanding. Which I is like that's the case, yeah. If you are somebody in the community who is known for your faith and known for believing in uh, religion and the ability of like free expression of religion, then isn't it kind of uh, counterintuitive that you married the guy who's literally trying to shut that down? Like that was like in season one, but not talked about, and now we're literally defending her from protesters because people are sick of it and mad at her for just being here, and like that's really that's like got some. Mm-hmm. ideas there's ideas going on there and that, that have to do with our character you know like i think that mm-hmm. caffius plot has less to do with who caffius is as a person and more with just like his role as the van dam whereas like right. specifically Kala's is like these are choices that she made that are leading to people right. going like that sucks that you actually not only married rajan but are like using his wealth and like living in a beautiful house and all this stuff and you're not helping the people that are quietly being like snuffed out Right. on the ground um, yeah i hope i hope kala becomes more aware of that um but we'll see right now it's kind of <laughs> the stakes are kind of like oh, i didn't want to marry this guy and also it morally and societally was wrong to marry this guy what am i to do <laughs> it's like everything the conflict is just oh it'd be so awkward Oh, to divorce him. Yeesh, I probably should. So, he's such a nice guy, but yeah, that would be tricky. <laughs> and he like, says, this okay. is the same like nice guy who says that those are quote, God intoxicated maniacs. Like sometimes mm. I just wish that Rajan could like be quiet and be nice. And we wouldn't have to be like, okay, maybe Kala should talk to Wolfgang more. It's like, no, I I need them to make a clean break and I need Rajan to be a good person for this to work. Like, I'm getting confused. The show is, like, trying to have its cake and eat it too, so to speak. And the stuff about, like, Kala saying, what if I don't want to be a good person? 
it's like becoming a steamy romance novel, so to speak, that takes place mm-hmm. primarily in bathrooms. It's like, what is going on? Pick something for her. Let her make a decision herself and yeah. have it matter. I'm actually not fully against her choosing Wolfgang, honestly. Right. I would pre- I would prefer if she made things work with Rajan because I ha- I personally have like a moral discomfort with like stories of infidelity. You know that if you listen to the podcast. But like this is a different kind of infidelity, right? It's like not uh-huh. literally physical. It's emotional, which is its own kind of infidelity, but uh, mm-hmm. I just want her to pick something. And that's like, you know, it's the middle of the season. I'm not trying to be like, why hasn't she done it already? But like, that's where I want her plot to go is for her herself to make decisions. Yeah, because her saying like, what if I don't want to be happy? What if I'm actually a bad person is not like an agentic choice. It's her trying to surrender, thank you, to some other sort of thing by saying mm-hmm. like, well, instead of, you know, deciding... I want to do the right thing or define for myself what the right thing is. What if I'm just bad? What if I can't make the right choice? What if I'm I'm going to do the wrong thing because it's wrong? And it's like, well, Kala, think about it a little more. Maybe you do have like a love connection with Wolfgang that is deeper than he's the hot German, you know, bad boy in my brain. And you actually have some kind of, meaningful tie to each other but uh i think probably where things are going to go is they are going to figure out what that is um that ties them together that's more than just like well he's a bit naughty and i am too and i'm innocent and nice but what if i have a naughty side to me it's like no there's like more to you guys both of you (laughs) yeah Hmm. what um just talking about wolfgang so the Everybody gets out of the museum or helps Riley and, and Will get out of the museum. Yeah. And then Wolfgang's like, hey, guys, sorry I wasn't there. I I was busy. Um, He was busy, like, getting it down with Lila in his brain or whatever, <laughs> or talking to her, whatever it is he's doing. What do you think of this Lila stuff? We learn a couple things about her, but <laughs> I feel like not as much as I would have liked to learn. I don't know. Uh, the dragon it, first of all. Um, yeah. The nudity thing is in the second episode, right? Yeah. Why don't we just talk about, because it's kind of self-contained in the second episode, so we can just yeah. talk about Lila and, and talk about it all here. I think, that I, w- I almost wish it wasn't a woman, like, or so, or not somebody yeah. that, like, Wolfgang's attracted to, because half of her scenes feel gratuitous. That nudity scene yeah. is embarrassing. That's some of the most, like... This isn't HBO, but it's like, oh, it's HBO and we can do nudity. And it's like, why? Like, meaningfully, mm-hmm. why? And she's like, it's because I want to fuck you, Wolfgang. And he's like, I mean, okay. Like, I have so much sex all the time and you're a pretty lady. But, like, what about you? What do you want from me? And none of that rings to me. None of that. That's, that's so hollow, so boring, so samey yeah. to me that, like, another hot person is like, and I'm hot, too. Like, that is my core problem with Sense8 is that, like, all of the Sense8s are just hot. And it flattens them to be, like, a, t- a certain type of person. But, mm-hmm. like, where Lila's plot has some potential is this talk of, like, I where we were, my, my cluster works with BPO. Or we have a deal with BPO so they don't fuck with us. But we hunt other people. And this idea of, like, you know, if you're to view Sense8s as, uh, like... 
disadvantaged people or, or like queer people, for example, that there are bad actors from within who work with people like the police uh, to like have their own agenda to like maintain a sense of comfort and stability. And they will throw their, their fellow people under the bus. Like there's right. something there. Um, but it's just, it's wrapped up in a like white hetero romance between like two attractive people who are like, why don't uh-huh. you want to fuck me? I'm in a bathroom. I'm naked. You're so hot. Oh, is Kala there? I she, she can join in too. Like, what? Who are you? What is Lila? What is her deal? Yeah, yeah. I I completely agree. It's like the first time that you introduce Lila and she's doing this femme fatale thing inside Wolfgang's brain. It I think does a good job of communicating whoa this is the exciting sensate sexy stuff that i know but now it's a little dangerous because she's like doing what whispers does kind of so it's like are you friend or foe and the answer is we're gonna find out where she lands so that stuff made sense to me and i like the mechanically i just like when they honor their their rules and for wolfgang to be in the bathroom being visited by lila and kala um and having to pretend to the other person to one person like the other person isn't there um that was an interesting like triangular scene but i totally agree with you that like we we only see wolfgang so much and he like is hanging out with felix a little bit for like 30 seconds then he's like well i gotta piss which is like his new catchphrase i gotta go take a piss (laughs) i love it (laughs) uh he's like in his plot with his with his buddy for like 30 seconds. And then he just keeps showing us the same scene of Wolfgang being like, what's your deal, Lila? And she's like, my deal is that I'm sexy and I want to fuck. And he's like, all right, but like, can I be in a plot that has plot, please? And she's like, no, no, I want to have sex with fucking you. Okay. (laughs) Well, that's fine, I guess. Um, And that's the thing that I think the show needs right now is like, give us the bad cluster <laughs> like, yeah show us the whole dang bad cluster and let's freaking fight or something pop the that lid off awesome this. they showed us a tin of a can of beans and they were like oh it's got other sensates in it and you're like oh that's delicious and they like pulled out the can opener and you're like yeah you're gonna open the can and then they like started opening the can and then put yeah. the can opener down and ran away. And it's like, no, I need this. The can's right there. Just yeah. open the it's can. It's like, why do you introduce this in Polyphony that there's this other cluster that works with BPO and then you don't do anything with it for a whole episode? Come on. That's like, that's, that's the what most I'm looking interesting for. Thing. Yes. Yes. Agreed so, 100%. Definitely um, frustrated with the Lila stuff across both episodes here. Absolutely agreed. It's, it's, it's going to go somewhere. I have my suspicions, but like, mm. I want I want to see another eight. I want that's like the thing, right? That's like this is an anime. They would meet the other eight or something. Right. Like they compl- and right. they would be like all fucked up and different and p- parallel our characters in cool ways. Yeah. Maybe if Sensei had more seasons, I don't know. Um, there are a couple other like things that happen in this episode that I don't want to dive into. So I'm just going to say them and then you tell me if you want to talk more about them. How about okay, that? Okay, great. Great. Uh, Son's whole situation with the new detective. I guess that more of that happens in the second one, but he's introduced here. Detective Mun, anything to say about him here? And they make it clear in this one who he is, right? Uh, do they? Yeah, yeah, they do. Towards the end of the episode. Uh, this sucks 
they they make him the guy that she had sex with at the competition. Yeah, that she yeah. told Kala about. Yeah, so stupid. I'm sorry, not to be rude, but like, why, why, mm-hmm. why do that? Yeah. That's I don't know. It's I don't like what they're doing with the sunplot. It was so cool when it was this kind of Thelma and Louise, like I'm hanging out with my former convict friends in like a apartment or even like I'm going to go talk to my teacher again. But like I'm now I have like this cop boyfriend guy who's going to help me kill my brother. And like you thought that that was just a random thematic scene to teach Kala about sex, but he's a character <laughs> now. I don't I really didn't like it. That was like the thing that probably upset me the most narratively about this episode. They're so, they're they're, they're not, not doing great by son. Like Min Chung, the like older woman that she's with, being like, "I'm gonna go. We're gonna go, we're gonna separate now because you need to keep your you have a good heart and you need to keep your beautiful heart." Like I really right. like, it's like that. No, don't leave. Yeah, that is but, a nice line. And yeah, don't leave. Like you're the best part of Sun's plot right now. But instead, yeah. she's being suddenly swapped out with a guy who clearly is being set up as a romance plot for Sun, like very right. clearly. And he's like, actually, the now that I th- you know he says this in the second episode, but like, oh, now that I think about it, maybe the cops who like took you out of jail aren't good cops. Hold on, I'm doing some right. detective work. The classic like, it's not copaganda if he's a detective because he can be anti-cop. I guess. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and the thing that's a bummer is like. The core of Sun's plot and her conflict is this idea of uh, my mother died and her dying words were to, like, take care of your brother. Yeah. And so I'm Sun. I have this internal conflict about I loved my mother, but I hate the version of, like, womanhood that she represents or that she was – loyal to or that she tried to instill in me (laughs) and like son has been slowly reconciling and deconstructing that by now being with other female characters who have a different conception of what it means to be a woman in this world and the reason it's so boring to me that she's saying goodbye to her friend from prison is like that was her surrogate mom that's like the whole that's son's whole arc and you're just saying like yeah but now she's gonna like go kill her brother it's like that's not her arc her arc is not go kill my brother her arc is like forgive my mother for being a woman in a man's world kind of yeah well said so that was that was a bit of a bit of a bummer yeah, you're basically watching her swap out the bad, the good plot for a bad one, or a no, one that we're not yeah. into personally. Although I do think yeah. that that detective is like pretty good looking. I like to see him on my screen, but yeah, he's a fine actor. I think he's doing a good job with what they're giving yeah. him. Uh, next, do you want to or do you not want to discuss Riley and the weird DJ stuff? A lot of that gets resolved in the second one, so why don't we just talk about it there? Sure. Um, I have a line from that in Stray Notes, though, but I'll bring that up later. Uh, we talked about Caffius. We talked about Kala and her new armed security guard, Vikram. I love Vikram. Uh-huh. Uh, oh, uh, Leto and Raul. Oh, God. I, I veto this, this one. Is a, this is a big part of this episode. It is. I'll 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 talk about it for the sake of the podcast. But You didn't I was, like this stuff? 
What was your I, issue with that? I think that Leto, without Hernando or Daniela and his plot lines, um, his stuff can be like kind of boring. Mm. Uh, and mm-hmm. like this is like interesting from a greater show storyline point. So, what brings Leto to Raul's father's house? First of all, what's the thing that brings him here? Uh, well, he knows he learned recently that Raul was a sensate. Yeah. Uh, because we were talking to Jonas and we were looking at Angelica's memories of her first cluster that she birthed and Raul was in that cluster and uh, Lito realizes, oh my God, I knew that guy. I met that guy. We had a connection. We and had so I think he's, connection. I think he's coming here because he wants to investigate what happened to Raul, basically. Okay, and he goes to Raul's father, and we're intercutting this with his first encounter with Raul, who is a jur- who was a journalist, uh, who in interviewing Leto privately, uh, ended up hooking up with him, uh, and it's like cause they show a good amount of it. It's like wow, wow, okay, they're both like into each other, and Leto's like, ah, but I'm not gay, and it's like, ah, but I think you are. Um, meanwhile, this also tells us we get to see uh, a VHS tape that Raul's father has. Uh, of the sort of origin story of like Nomi calls it origins of the zombie factory, uh, which is Whispers and another uh, doctor, uh, Dr. Kolovi, uh, who's going to be important. Um, basically watching Todd. Is that Todd or who is that actually getting lobotomized? Or is that Raul? I'm not sure. They talk about Todd and then they also mention Raul. And I wasn't sure like is Raul holding the camera. Regardless, one, I think it's it's Todd because he says in the flashbacks like, uh, we need to fix ourselves. This is fucked up that we're like this. He's the guy who doesn't want to be a sensate. Uh, I think he volunteered to be lobotomized, which is like really sad, right? Uh, it doesn't get a ton of time, but that's how I understood it. And a young whispers and this mysterious Dr. Colby do that. And it's like, oh, so they've been doing this for a while. That's how they trick people. Because once they lobotomize you, they can make you a blank slate to, for them to jump inside of and do whatever they want, which we see as whispers makes him mm. right like uh milton or whatever on the piece of paper right it's pretty dark it's a little bit too dark for this show right now um i think that sensate season two has a really big tonal problem where like darker things are happening but we're handling them in a much lighter funnier way Mm -hmm. uh so like seeing a lobotomized like repressed christian man like be like manipulated like a puppet in the on the operating table is like ghoulish and beyond the pale Mm -hmm. And not mm-hmm. treated as the biggest thing in this episode. Um, right. And, like, uh, I don't mean to jump around again, but, like, a couple minutes later, this episode ends with Jonas dying. And, like, guys, these are things that need to have a lot of weight. Like, if you want this to be your A-plot, then, like, make it I matter. Was, I was, like, looking away from the screen. And when yeah. I looked back, everybody was sad. And they were like, Jonas died. And I'm like... Wait, that was Jonas dying? What? Gone. Dead. Lobotomized. <laughs> killed. What are you talking about? I was floored. I didn't believe it. Even when they do the... Oh, we'll talk about that in the second episode. But they try to talk about it. And they only give it about, I don't know, 15 seconds before they're like, yeah. all right, anyways, we're done. It's baffling. It's one of the most disappointing things because Jonas is yeah. so important to Sense8, the show. And these people, right. he's the one who brought them into the world. And they're just like, uh, mm past that we're past it like yeah what what 
really baffling. So like the Ruggles stuff and the Jonas stuff together, I was like, if you wanted this to matter, you needed to give it more time. This episode is blow- blowing past some of the most interesting and dark stuff happening in the A plot. That's my thoughts. What about you? I don't know. I This stuff like on paper factually works for me as movement forward. Like it makes sense in the beats of the season that we would learn about what happened to this last cluster that was doomed to a fate that we're trying to avoid. It makes sense that our mentor figure is going to die at around this point. So like in terms of the pacing of the season, those things land. But like you're saying, they're just not packaged in a way that I think tells the story particularly well. Um, and so I'm just kind of left like, okay, I guess we'll see what you do with those realities before I like make a judgment about them. Um, and it to me kind of reads like a mismatch of creative intentions. I don't want to like, yeah read too much into that but this stuff feels like the jms stuff yes i was gonna totally say that yes and this is the kind of stuff that like would happen in a show like babylon 5 you just do these incredibly dark brutal things to characters and it works because like the show was structured around those sorts of things happening um like irreversibly terrible things happen to characters in Babylon five. Not to say that it's like a dour show because it's full of a lot of hope and triumph and defiance of, of those things too, redemption and all that. Um, so like these plot beats feel like JMS plot beats to me. 100%. Again, not, not being in the writer's room, not knowing how the show was written necessarily. And then I think they just don't quite, land once they get to production and they get to being directed and realized by the Wachowskis and and their team because it's not the storytelling styles are not quite the same yeah if they wanted this to be a serious season it should be a serious season but this is happening in the same episode as like you know all of these jokes and all these different like little character stories and vignettes and it's like it just it it can't it's crammed it's crammed yeah. to the to the brim uh, I think really nails the nails the point there. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I was I was a bit bummed out by this one. Did you have any um, stray notes though? Yeah, um, I thought the escape from the museum at the beginning was pretty good. I liked Leto in Riley's body, like wailing for help. The scream a, is so good. It's a funny moment. Um, there's this whole plot where Bug uh, learns about sensates and. <laughs> That's the scene where he's basically like, whoa, wow, and does like all his bug stuff, um, which is, you know, fun. And also just like, wow, they're really, really leaning into bug. They really must have liked the guy playing bug or something because there's so much bug in season two. So much. Um, to, To the like deletion of our other sidekick comedy characters uh like i feel like caffius mentions jella more than we see jella and felix is like i'm up from my coma anyways you know don't worry about me i'm not here to tell any jokes oh god it's bug time Uh, um i saw a review that was like 
the show exactly like you just said it was like the show really seems to think that bug is important and interesting because they keep giving him more episode time and all he was was a like vaguely transphobic joke character in the first episode in season one yeah i'm sorry in the first season and now it's like bug is like the core of the uh no me amanita plotline and it's like why why exactly <laughs> yeah. Yeah. this shaggy looking motherfucker uh-huh and I, I'm a, I'm still amused by Bug, but it is also amusing to me that there's so much Bug. Yeah, uh, it's almost silly. There's even more Bug in the next one yep, um, yep. that we'll talk about. So there's that. Um, let's see. Do, 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 do. Some corny music choices. I think the editing and cinematography are still incredible, um, but a lot of these like music montages are undone by how on the nose some of the music choices are. Um, there's this whole song of has the world gone mad in the background of the riot stuff. Um, and then there's this like really kind of peaceful song earlier where uh, it's like sun, sun is, like, is meditating. meditating and Kala is meeting this art guy who's hitting on her really seriously. And, there's kind of some other like I don't know vaguely sexy stuff happening. Um, it's weird. Sun in the sun. Uh, is that something? It, sun <laughs> meditating in the sun. It's something know. they know. Yeah, no, you're right. They know. Um. Yeah, that's that's it. I'm interested to see where the. Raul, Angelica's cluster, BPO stuff. Like I think I'm more, much more interested now in the season or the kind of a plot core stuff. Now that there are more yeah. players in it, besides just we're getting chased by whispers kind of mm -hmm. thing. Mm -hmm. Um, but I feel like this episode didn't deliver on it as much as I wanted it to. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, a couple quick ones for me. Two, two quick ones for me. One, uh, one of the chants in India that they're saying is one, one truth, our truth, which is like a good chant on paper. But like, what are you guys protesting about specifically? What is the like religious freedom that people want? This, this whole protest is like, so there's so much potential and then it just, it feels like it's nothing. It feels like it's saying nothing. Um, so that's how I felt about that. And then there's just in Riley's plot, which is otherwise very boring, uh somebody's talking about her dj show she's like oh i hope that people can find it like i hope that it's like available to people and he goes oh like you know people are going to be there with their phones your show could be periscoped any minute riley uh, oh my god oh my god stop it <laughs> there was like a dark bell that rang in my head when i heard that phrase i was like periscope ah! <laughs> um we're like 11 years 1100 years past periscope existing anyways that's all we had for this one. Uh, it's a difficult episode. Let's talk about another difficult episode after this brief musical break where we will discuss fear never fixed anything. Welcome back to Chats 8. 
The second episode we watched this week was Season 2, Episode 5 of Sense8, entitled Fear Never Fixed Anything. It was written by Lily and Lana Wachowski and J. Michael Straczynski. It was directed by James McTeague. It aired on May 5th, 2017, along with the rest of Season 2. Alan. What? <laughs> what happened in Fear Never Fixed Anything? Oh, Magellan, in this episode, Bug... <sighs> Bug hits on a solution to Nomi's legal troubles. New cracks begin to appear in Kala's perfect life. And the Sensates consider a bold change of plans. Magellan, I already know what you thought of this episode, but can you tell the listener what you thought of the episode? Um, All three of those plots that the thing talks about are not great. And yep. that tells you that this episode was not great. I... I hate that this is the week where we're like, Sensei, it's not good. But this was maybe my least favorite Sensei episode that we've seen so far, um, which is such a bummer of a feeling because, again, to reiterate my adoration of the show, I love this show. I think I fall into the bad habit sometimes of sounding like I don't love things that I love. Mm -hmm. um, but that's because that's how I talk to myself, <laughs> too. Uh, oh, not uh, the thought formed in my mind i had to verbalize it good i appreciate um, you feeling the comfort to do that here thank you anyway um but i adore this show and i love how fresh it is and how innovative it is and how beautiful it is and so it's really upsetting when it puts forward an episode that is like just mediocre like i i really didn't think this was a very good episode of television and even worse than that, I think the last 10 minutes are bad. Like, actively, this is a bad show. Going, yeah. yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's, what I wanted... Sorry, finish your point. <clears throat> um, well, I was going to get into plot-specific stuff, but we can do that in a second. What, what was your take on this one? I'm so excited, or so curious... Like in this conversational space where we come out, like what makes the, an episode of Sensei bad as opposed to another one? Because again, mm -hmm. like I said, the previous half right. uh, on paper, a lot of these things sound really cool, but in execution and in totality, it's like very boring, very disappointing in spots, and like undoes a lot of good character work to the point where I'm not, I'm actually pretty bored. We always say the worst thing you can be on a chat show is boring. This episode's pretty boring, and when it's not, it's actively frustrating like really really like why did you do that with these characters what were you going for why are we focusing so much on the stuff that doesn't matter and oh you had a good idea and you whiffed it so hard it's fascinating i want to get into it where do you want to start uh at the end no <laughs> well <sighs> yeah we're, we're gonna have to do a whole thing about the last 10 minutes this whole dj sequence yeah that's the last that's the last part i think yeah um, actually, right where it starts, we mourn Jonas together. I just sat up in my seat, bud. <laughs> we, as a community of sensates, are mourning the death of Jonas Maliki, getting freaky like Jonas Maliki. <laughs> and now we can't get freaky anymore because the guy's dead, and we literally give it about 30 seconds. <laughs> Maybe Yeah, 45. this is like the character who ushered us into our understanding of the sensate world. Yeah. He's and he's gone. just gone. He was lobotomized. We're sad about it. Move the fuck on. 
Literally, next scene. Hi, I'm a brand new character to the Caffius plotline. I would like you to become a politician. Even the literally last episode, Caffius is like, the worst thing I could be right now is a politician because I want to have ideas. He says that on the on the mm-hmm. new show. And now they're like, but what about being a politician? You don't have to be a politician. You just have to be a person in front of everyone. I know what you're doing. I know you guys are mad about Donald Trump and the idea of a figurehead being used to lead a party that does bad things. I think Caffius was the wrong character to use as the center of that storyline. This has barely anything to do with what what Caffius is to me. Is this a... I feel like it's even more nothing than that. Like, it's just like, what do we do with Caffius? I don't know. I guess he's like a man of the people politician guy. Like, I don't even think there's a point here, really. I have to imagine that in the time that this was written that they are, like, this is a concern on their mind, but it's not specific enough. It's very broad. And, like, the characters mm-hmm. who, like, try to recruit him are, are portrayed as nothing. They're no, there's no interest to them. The only bit of meat on this bone is when Caffius says, the reason I don't want to work with you guys is because you're not from here. How are you supposed to represent people if you're not from their, like, walk of life? But, mm-hmm. like... I don't know, man. What what indicates to us that they are like foofy rich people or that they are bad actors or that they are acting in bad faith? It's that they are dressed right. well and have glasses. Like, I guess. Uh, but it's just so hurried, like everything else in this gosh dang season, that I'm already right. like, okay, I don't even care. You And like, he doesn't care. He doesn't want to do it. He might end up doing something like this. It seems like that's where his plot is going, but... Why? Why Why should I care about Caffius being a figurehead for the people of Nairobi? I don't currently. Right. Yeah, it really feels... My problem with it is it just feels too cliche. And so it doesn't feel like a story that is a Nairobi story. It doesn't feel of its place. It feels just kind of like, well, this is your classic tale of this idealistic, uh, you know, kind of man of the people guy who gets wrapped up in this world that's a little too cynical and he gets chewed up by it, but by God, he stands by his values. And it's like, yeah, okay, I've seen that one before, but how are you telling this in a way that's like culturally responsive and not just kind of like a Hollywood trope? Um, not to say that this kind of story can't happen in that context, because it certainly can. And I think what I like about this direction for Caffius is we are complicating and adding some shades and nuance to like what Africa looks like so that it's not just, you know, the way that it looked in season one, but there's different environments, there's rural and urban environments, and there's characters of different socioeconomic classes and different professions and attitudes towards each other. It's like, that's all cool, but you're doing that in service of like telling a story that just feels like a copy paste story from other places. Uh, And I'm not a big, big fan of that. And we go past it so fast that Caffius's next scene has nothing to do with that. He goes to like the news office, the news building, right, to mm-hmm. see Zakia, and we get this like overlong, really un- like awkward, jokey scene of these three guys being like, 
uh, we know that you're here to be with like hit, hit up Zakia because you think she's cute. I know you like wanted to do business with her or whatever, but you probably like her, right? We don't recommend it. Well, what do you guys mean? Why is that? Well, she doesn't, you know, that's not how she doesn't butter her egg roll the same way everyone else does. She doesn't, uh, you know, put her bread in the bread box like everyone else does, if you know what I mean. And Cafeus is an innocent young man who says, I don't know what that means. And one of them has to go, she's a lesbian. She's fucking gay, bud. She's <laughs> they a do homosexual. They do like four of those. They do like four of those before they make it clear. And the last one is, if you've got a dick in those pants, you ain't got a chance. <laughs> so I only dumb. give that a pass because the Wachowskis wrote it. But and I also, I don't really give it a pass. It's still a cringy line. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very, yeah. If they don't, yeah. yeah. They don't get a, a get out of jail free card for that goofy ass line mm-hmm. uh but man and that's it guys that's caffeine's plot for the week like what mm-hmm. uh t- nothing there's nothing we got all these scenes with him and for no purpose <laughs> really do you want to yeah, be a politician we'll s- no do you want to be with sakya can't okay uh <laughs> what what happened here caffeine's right Right. Remember last time when we had one episode without him and we were like, this is a travesty. Where's my boy? And they're like, okay, we'll make an episode of that. He's in every episode this season. <laughs> this stuff barely counts, dude. Uh-huh. Uh, so speaking of characters who just kind of are there to do some things, um, Sun's plot line with the detective continues a little bit here. Um, the street mm-hmm. that she walks by, this is a weird observation I had, that she walks up to, like, find her trainer. It really looks like the street from Parasite, like, where the house is. And I mm. was like, it's probably just how streets in Seoul look. That's fine. But also, they don't film in that. Maybe there's, like, only so many shooting locations. And mm. Duna Bay has worked with Bong Joon-ho before. So I'm just saying. Maybe this is how they found that, that, how, that location. Regardless... Mm. She meets the trainer. She meets the dog again. I found myself emotionally connected to all of this. Like, oh, my God, she's free. Like, sun's so good. The dog is licking her face. Like, this is so cute and nice. And then I was like, this is emotionally manipulative. They're using soft lighting and happy music and a cute dog to make me feel happy. But, like, you know, what's sun going to do now? I don't know. Go back to her trainer and just, like, eat soup and have fun. This (laughs) just, Mm -hmm. like, doughy-eyed everything is so it's like midday golden hour lighting like okay good i'm ha- i'm happy for sun she got to have a happy yeah day. yeah i mean this episode is a lot of the wachowskis are and um JMS. james mcteague and james oh, yeah, but i'm, McTeague, I'm speaking yeah. the, the visual language here you know everybody involved very capable talented filmmakers who like give them a vibe and they can make you a piece of cinema that says here's the vibe you're supposed to be feeling and there's just so much of it in this episode that is like a forced vibe and not necessarily something that i was made to feel by the narrative or like the visual storytelling so much as almost like it almost feels like when you're watching a commercial or something yeah like the commercial is like look Here's all the lighting that makes you think things are happy. It's like, yeah, okay, but what about the the story? <laughs> how how about that? How how do I feel about that? Um, because the sun story just continues the stuff we were not so happy about from the last episode. Of there's this detective guy who's following her, and he's like, maybe she's right, and uh, here's my card, and I know whatever. she's here probably, but you don't have to tell me. It's fine. Yeah. 
So not super interested in where that's going, unfortunately. He's going to be on her side. They're going to have a thing together. Uh, I don't think he's betraying her even. I think it's like straight. I think it's by on the plate. I think so too. Yeah. Uh, although I do love that dog very much. Um, yeah. There is a scene in Kala's plotline that I felt was probably the, my favorite scene of this episode. Okay. Um, she's at her father's restaurant, which I love it that it's just called Don Dekar. Like, it's just their last name. I love that detail. Mm-hmm. She, in the spices, she's distracted. They have this cute little joke of like, oh, I put like dog shit in it. And she's like, oh, my favorite. And he's like, and I put like nail <laughs> clippings. And she's like, yum, yum, yum. And he's like, yeah, uh-huh. Making fun of her. Um, yeah, they. Nice. The families are having regular like Sunday dinner together, and at one of these dinners, things get a little bit tense between Rajan and Kala's fathers. Manendra and Sanyam are debating politics, and like this is kind of interesting just on paper. You know, Manendra is like a classic capitalist, classist motherfucker who's like, Mm -hmm. you know, you're working in a kitchen means you don't know how money works and you don't know what success looks like. And Sanyam is like, at least I chose to like keep my family. It, you know what I'm realizing right now? Do you do you know that you know they did a that's cringe about it um about the who's the like guy who makes the awkward YouTube videos that Cody ended up being in one of Darman Smoke Car Oh Darman Yeah uh it's it's it no not Maddie Smokes (laughs) (laughs) not Maddie Smokes No it's like a Darman video where it's like. I'm just a humble chef who loves his family. And he's like, I'm a rich guy who believes that owning companies is the key to enacting change. Uh-huh. Like, it's re- it's pretty simple. But the actors uh-huh. have a lot of fun with this fight. And just the comedy, too, of uh, Kala and her family. And then, like, Rajan being like, uh, please pass the doll, please. Um, I, I don't talk to each other. Um, fuck. I gotta go. Mm-hmm. It's just fun, you know? This is entertainment. It doesn't have to mean every- yeah. anything. But, like... I don't know. This episode is such a wheel spinner that, again, this is like the fourth plot in a row where I'm like, I don't know, something happened. Does it mean anything? Not really. Yeah. This is my thing with the Kala plot right now is meaningfully how much movement has really happened in Kala's plot between season one, episode one and season two, episode uh, five, if that's what this is, Mm -hmm. whatever that was. Not too much. She's still in this position where it's like, well, I'm feeling this conflict between religion and secularism. I'm feeling a conflict between uh, my own kind of climbing social status and my family's humble beginnings, which is getting fleshed out here and wasn't super fleshed out in in season one. Uh, And I'm feeling conflicted about marrying this guy who's the right guy on paper, but doesn't feel like the right guy for me. She's like still in the exact same spot narratively, mm-hmm. which makes me think like you could have just started Kala's plot here and it's kind of finally starting to seem like it's going to move somewhere and she's going to have to make a choice about something. Yeah. Um. But I don't know. That was the realization I had when we were reading the episode summary. New cracks begin to appear in Kala's perfect life. Like that no, should don't. be the Kala story. Yeah, yeah, they're they're the same cracks. These cracks are getting a little wider, maybe, but like yeah. they are not new cracks. <laughs> um, and if we just started Kala here in season one, episode one, I feel like she could have moved places and made choices by now. Um, 
And we're finally in this episode getting whiffs of like Rajan is like up to some shady business because she's like, yeah. I was looking at these reports and something didn't look quite right. And he's like, look, it doesn't like matter. It's always like that. We just have to push the drugs out and that's our job. Okay, finally, we're doing something here where he's this nice guy, veneer, but actually he's like a shitty capitalist, mm -hmm. which is cliche, but it felt like inevitably we were going there and we just took such a long time to do that, Yeah, um, which feels uh, a little silly, but at least we're making some movement that feels like it's going to force Kala to make a choice and do something, um, which will be good. God, I hope. God, I hope. God, I hope. <laughs> Just anything. Because, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, like, the yeah, the plots that, like, make forward momentum in this are, like, not my favorite characters. Um, and that's, I think, the other reason why this episode is, like, overall disappointing is, you know, we're talking about all these people that normally we really like, and instead mm -hmm. they don't get anything to do, but the characters, like, Will and Riley and fucking Wolfgang even are, like, doing yeah. stuff. Yeah. Uh, I think the next big one or brief one, actually, speaking of characters I like is Team Mexico. Um, mm -hmm. as we get Danielle again, my roommate kept asking me what happened to Hernando last episode. He's like, are they not still dating? Why is every scene with Lino not involving Hernando? Like, and even in this episode, it's only this scene. Like, maybe the actor wasn't available as much, or maybe the implication mm. is Lino is on this journey by himself a little bit. But like... Mm. This is the only scene that features Hernando and Daniela and in these whole and both of these. And I was like, right. I need them to make Lito's storyline interesting. I need the love and and the scene is good, right? Like exactly mm -hmm. like I predicted last week with the remaining scripts that Lito got from his agent, all of them, every single one is you are the stereotypical gay character. You are the gay sidekick. You die early in the movie. You die of AIDS in the movie. Like he is being typecast the way that queer actors have been typecast for decades. And it's very sad and not played as seriously as it should be. It's a little bit silly because they're like, huh, yeah. what? A and I guess like this is better than them being like, I'm miserable because like we know Lito is like pretty well off, like we said last week. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But the the plot twist, I guess, is there the, the, the notch in the plot is that Lito got invited to be the, the leader of the Sao Paulo Gay Pride Parade. Which mm -hmm. initially he's like, man, my career is a failure. I don't want to be on the gay pride parade because rightfully his point is I don't want to be like tokenized like this. If I do that, then I'm completely consigning myself to being the like the gay actor and like who mm -hmm. likes my movies anymore for going to do that. All they care about is mm -hmm. like I'm the gay guy, which very valid complaint. Um, mm -hmm. He's just like he's talking to to Daniela and, and Hernando and he calls them family. He's like, come on, family, like we need to find me something better. This seems hopeless. Mm -hmm. uh, this scene by itself is just like sad. It's like, damn, bummer, Lido, hate to see it. But right. the fact that it then intertwines into Nomi's plot line is like another almost good scene of the episode, which is like muddled by like a bunch of other confusing shit that happens in it. But like Bug having a fanboy moment with Lido was like kind of nice. Cause I the, liked it. Yeah, yeah, it was cute. Yeah, there you go. There's Sensei. Oh, you're poking out your head out again. <laughs> uh, the three of them are sitting in a movie theater for reasons that we're about to explain, but Bug sees, or Bug is like, oh, we're watching a Lita movie. I love it. I've seen this movie 10 plus times. And Nomi's like, well, he's here. Go, He's in my cluster. Go talk to him. He's to your right. And that's like the 
confidence boost that Leto needs that like somebody loved and cared about his movies enough that they're quoting them at him. And it's a really sweet moment, right? It's the power of like, you know, all the bad comments will get to your head as a creator. But when you find one person whose work you touch, whose work, your work touched them, uh, it matters more than anything else. And I was like, oh, shit, do way more of this Sensei season two. I need this like meaningful emotional weight, please. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. However, it happens <laughs> to be in a scene that is pants on head bananas. <laughs> I can't believe what I'm about to describe to you, dear chats listener. So, um, you know how for several weeks in a row, we, Magellan has oh been like... Oh my god, I can't. <laughs> Magellan has been like, why is Nomi not, like, is, is she not on the run? She's on a boat. Her conflict, I'm on a boat, man. Like, her conflict is like, I'm on a boat and I can't leave the boat. <laughs> that reference is just as crusty as what you're about to explain happens. It absolutely... Sorry, go ahead. No, you're right. Same era. Yes. Yeah. She's stuck on the boat. They're like, oh, well, we have an option for getting you off the boat. We're going to kill you. Oh, no, that's so mm-hmm. sad. I don't want to die. No, baby, it's E-Death. I'm talking E-Death, as Bug says, with his ugly tiger mm-hmm. shirt. Uh, <laughs> this is apparently a thing that's rumored to be used by the CIA and the FBI to, quote-unquote, kill somebody so that every record of them existing disappears instantly. And for those people who, like, try to cross-reference them, they don't exist anymore. Uh, it can only be done by, like, ultimate-level hackers, and they're like, yeah, I guess we're interested. It'd probably be good to do that because the people who care about me know I'm alive and everyone else doesn't matter. Wh- wh- who do we go to? What's the ultimate hacker look like? Well, you got to go to a movie theater to watch a Lito Rodriguez movie. Weirdly convenient. And right behind you in a crowded movie theater is a guy wearing a Guy Fox mask because he's from Anonymous. What? What are you doing, Sensei? <laughs> like, literally, Guy Fox oh, mask. Hood, no. James McTeague. By the way, James McTeague did direct V for Vendetta, though. So the comedy is not lost on me Stop here. Stop it. Stop that. You're right. <laughs> it's insane. And I hate to use that word, but it's insane. Like, see, she's like, hey. And he talks like a normal dude, but he alliterates. He's like alliterative. He's a little bit fucked up. I was so flabbergasted by this why is the guy with an anonymous mask here my roommate got up he was like i'm gonna go make lunch this is stupid i was like (laughs) you're way better off i want to i want to get up and get lunch and i have to sit down and watch this stupid dude and he just gives it to them why was the scene even here he's just like yeah you want it here you deserve it we love homo uh what is the term the homo sensoriums we love you guys we all know about you anyways here's the hacking device you're deleted and it works it just works (laughs) <laughs> fucking we already we already established that nomi doesn't have a criminal criminal record why do we have to re-establish it why is she on a boat i'm so confused yeah i think it got really all the nomi on the run stuff got super muddled because nomi was on the run because of the like escaping from the hospital stuff of season one but then it's like we're all on the run from bpo so is this to hide Nomi from BPO? Is it to hide her from the feds for other reasons? It's like not clear. And this is just the show being like, Ugh, we don't want to think about that stuff anymore. So I already was of Deus Ex it. Machina. <laughs> you already Deus Ex Machina did though. You said Will's a cop. We turned off your record. What are you saying? <laughs> but um, 
Yes, ridiculous. This was absurd. And they know it's absurd, so they're trying to make a gag of it. But that doesn't make it better. It just makes it more cringy to do that. Uh, So, I don't know. Silly, 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 silly. Really dorky, not good, bad (sighs) plot. (laughs) Oh, God. Anonymous is still technically around. They're still doing stuff with, like, Russian election fraud stuff. But fucking... Sure, whatever. This was dated in 2016. This right. was dated in twenty. This was dated in two thousand eight, fam. Anonymous has been alive since we were in mm, elementary school, but like, hmm. such a weird relic of like web one point you know, hack the system culture, all of that yeah. stuff. And like, right, truthfully, right. it's it's the natural conclusion to Nomi's hacktivist, right? Like, there is something to be said about like people on four chan either joined Anonymous or transitioned and became people like Nomi. Like those were the two. I, I I literally know people who have said this and and have been on both of those paths. You either become mm-hmm. a conspiracy, like weird conspiracy theorist, and or you become a trans woman. Like it happens. There's a pipeline <laughs> there, and mm-hmm. that's interesting. Someone writing this knew that, and it's still so stupid. And I can't believe it's in the show. I'm so <laughs> glad I watched it. It's the stupidest shit in the world. Right. It almost circles around to being like fun that it's so dumb, uh-huh. but. This is not the show that I want to watch in that way uh, because it's so earnest and like there's scary stuff happening too and you just have to pick a lane at some point. You can't be the show that just does this (laughs) because I'm not I'm not watching a Sorkin show right now. I'm watching Sense8, you know. Exactly. It's and this isn't even this is probably that's the weirdest thing in this episode. It's not the only weird thing. No, 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 no. I don't really want to talk about Whispers, Will and Riley, but I can be brief about that, I guess. Uh, mm-hmm. We talked about it in the intro. Will Whispers visits Will and Riley. Will then visits him. Perpetual, perpendicular Gothic architecture. It all mm-hmm. lines point to God and point down to the subject. It's not. It, it's not me, says Will. No, it's me, says Whispers. Shut the fuck up, dude. What does this even mean? <laughs> he goes fully mask off. He goes fully anonymous. Guy Fox mask off. I'm trying to engineer a future with a species that is more violent, intolerant, and possessive than any species in the history of this planet. Cool, Whispers. What does that mean? I'm gonna go drink a beer <laughs> now. I'm gonna go like have sex with my girlfriend <laughs> like what are you saying bro <laughs> he's like yeah you killed sarah patrell who i don't even remember that because i'm a fucked up sicko <laughs> that i kind of liked That's i kind of like that will being like sarah patrell it was versus like who? bud if i could tell you the number of people that i've lobotomized for my experiments you would be scared of me. It, it's funny right though because like that's all will's plot has been and yet, right. he tells that to Whispers, like, hey, the biggest thing, it's the, you know, Street Fighter, the movie, like, to me, it was Tuesday uh, right. from right. M- M- Bison Line. Like, it's just that, but it's really silly. Mm-hmm. Uh, Whispers doesn't remember here. Angelica working, was working with Whispers for a while, and then he claims that she, quote unquote, broke like any one of us might break someday. Any of you could be like Angelica and give me what I need. <laughs> yeah, he's saying that she was philosophically aligned with him and his methods. And he's claiming in the scene, basically like I'm doing it all for homo sensorium, I guess. Yeah. To carve out an existence for us alongside 
humanity homo sapiens because like that's just the world we live in and what we have to do and my ends justify my means uh-huh. i would love for him to explain that a little bit more because i'm interested in this sort of like his version of of uh protecting homo sensorium which is like i must do violence to my people to save them or something there's like a worldview there that i think is worth understanding more and he doesn't really explain it that much here he just says trust me i have a justification i'll see you later <laughs> bye shut up and it's a sense it's yeah. a streaming show like you can watch it all back to back pacing falls off because of that it's just right like, right right goofy. Good. My favorite line in that in the Whispers Will scene, by the way, is Whispers saying Sapiens live in a world designed by their worst fears. Which mm. is which is kind of cool. Uh what does it mean thematically? Well, I don't yeah. know. Hold on, tell me what that but, means specifically. But it is cool because he talks about like how the Black Plague changed architecture and all this stuff, which is intriguing. Um but uh, I'm curious to see how they build on that and his worldview and what that means for our heroes yeah like i wonder if it's a fucked up magneto situation where but alan magneto's already fucked up where like i have i'm harming (laughs) them so that they come out stronger and become the superior beings right that's why i fight the mutants because i don't want them to to harmonize with the rest of humanity Mm -hmm. that's my guess at least uh oh can we just briefly touch on wolfgang and lila what the fuck is the scene where she just walks around in the nude i don't know nothing to say about it she just flirts with him and coerces him and says well you need me as much as i need you what does that mean this episode has no interest in answering your stupid questions dear listener (laughs) it's none none lila's naked she's hot i don't know if you're into that kind of thing i'm not particularly whatever um you know what I am into, though, is this absolutely unhinged scene with Leto and the bartender. Hello? What What was this? <laughs> it's awesome, is what it is. Remember that random one-off Twinkie bartender from last season that Leto said no to and then later went on to kiss? What if that kiss changed his fucking life? Then he meets the bartender again. I don't know why exactly. Just because he's sad and like we're sad about the whole like typecasting thing. And he orders eight drinks, which at first I was like, oh my God, that's so much. And then I realized the joke. He's drinking for everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the guy gives him this bananas like speech. Like when you kissed me, I realized that anything can happen. And like you just have to do take what you want. And it, it, it like caring about things matters. And that was the date that I I proposed to Pepe. Anyways, Pepe's right here. Pepe in the corner of the fucking mm. thing goes, "Hey, what's up?" Mm. <laughs> I I I I I I don't know anymore. Sense hate. I don't know what the show is. It's really weird. This is a nothing scene. It really services Will though to just be like. Speaking of taking, <laughs> speaking of taking what you want, I don't. Cops aren't just like getting information. Cops can know how to do the job or whatever the fuck he says. Mm-hmm. This like weird cop copaganda thing, uh, and this is how we get to the conclusion. Of the episode will is talking about BPO, and he's like, "Oh, there's probably more sensates than we thought. That's why BPO has so many resources. Is they're trying to separate us. We actually need to bring us all together at one big dot dot dot." Dot, 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 DJ party. Huh? 
So I just, I just want to rewind to the, yeah, it, this episode really goes off in a bad, off the rails in a bad way to rewind to the bartender for a second. I think the intent behind the scene is Leto's in a funk. We need to move Leto towards being cool with, uh, you know, being in charge of the oh. Sao Paulo gay pride parade. Sure. Because the scene ends with him mm-hmm. looking at that paper again. Yeah. And so there are two moments to like bolster Leto's confidence in this episode. One of them is the bug thing, which is like, I am a great actor. I do still inspire people with my acting, even in spite of what they may have learned about my personal life. And then this scene is like, and also sharing this side of myself is inspirational to people in and of itself as well. So that's a like, good read. That's a good read. That's like the full scope of what Leto has to learn here to go on to the next part of where his plot's going. But the problem is that there are so few characters in Leto's orbit <laughs> and he's already talked to Hernando and Daniela. So it's like, ah, fuck. Who's he going to learn this from? Well, I guess he could learn it from somebody else in the cluster, but like nobody in the cluster's really been inspired by Leto coming out. So they've helped him to do it. Like Nomi's helped Leto to come out, but he hasn't influenced anybody himself within the cluster. So I guess this is the only guy we got is this random bartender character. But like, it's so weird. And the way the shot's framed, everybody like is walking in, backlit. Leto's got his sunglasses on. Everybody comes into the bar. Why are we doing this like hero shot (laughs) to go to the bar? Is Leto going here on purpose to talk to this guy on purpose? Yeah, what motivated him to come? That's my question. A lot of the scenes that happen in this episode are good, but have no reason for starting. Yeah, it doesn't. It's just... Yeah, there's no motivation here. Also, there's no, yeah, it's like a year later or whatever, like half a year later. So that also makes it confusing. So it's just strange. And it's used, the other thing that's tough is that this scene is used as this fulcrum point uh, where it starts with Caffius saying, courage, it is contagious. Just like, (laughs) let me pop in. And make this thematic observation. Okay. Hey, Caffius. Anyway, now we're moving into the stuff that you were talking about where Will is like courageous, right? Like a cop. And then everyone's like, yeah. Yeah, like a cop. Like a cop or a DJ. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's like, what the fuck are you talking about? And then everyone's like, right. Now it's my turn to stand in front of the mirror and think about how courageous of a cop DJ I am inside of me. Super, it's just a strange, like, <laughs> what What are we doing? And they're, you know, trying to put this into the main plot by saying we're tired of running. We know that if BPO has these resources, it must mean there's a lot of sensates out there. We should start gathering them and start a revolution or whatever. Mm-hmm. Cool. Like, mm-hmm. that's a great plot idea. But it's just, again, the thing that we keep saying in this episode is the execution is just so wonky and just 
weird and arbitrary and just, I don't know. The rest of this episode is so bad. It's so yeah. like, I guess we have to cash in all of the things we just said. Let's do a couple things here. Let's just break this down really quick. So Lita doesn't trust Vincent because he doesn't like his movies. But he's like, you know, Vincent said that we could do some stuff. And he helped us like figure out the blockers. And Kala like, knows the like chemical makeup of the blockers. That's really good. Nomi, what are we going to do about the system, though? How do we smash the system? Well, she says, quote, your life is either defined by the system or by the way you defy the, defy the system. That's a really cool mm-hmm. line and a normal thing to say, Nomi. Thank you for that. Hey, Wolfgang, what do you <laughs> what do you have to say about any of this as a white straight guy who has like no problems in his life except he's like into crime? Fear never fixed anything. Okay, <laughs> don't be afraid. <laughs> what? Who is Wolfgang anymore? Why did you say that, Riley? Oh shit, it's my turn to be a character again. What do we know about Riley? Oh, uh, let me check my notes from season one. Oh, I had a blue streak of hair. Let me dye my hair blue again. Riley blue. Like, it's like as if we reset the characters. And she's like, right. I'm going to. And she does the DJ show that theoretically was going to bring all the sensates together. Did we talk uh-huh. about how we got them here? No. Are they even in the audience? We don't know. Where is this? We're not clear. It's in London, I believe. Uh-huh. Riley's DJing again. Just so that she can say, you know, it's. 2010s edm culture and i love all of you and we're all part of this together and i love a special man who told me to look up instead of staring down and they kiss in the balcony through through their sensateness and you're like okay that was really weird i hope the episode's done wait what song is that is that what's up by four non blondes <laughs> they do it twice because they play it for the first time when she's putting the blue streak in her hair uh-huh and you say, huh? huh? Okay. Then they stop playing the song and they do all the stuff that you talked about. And then they start playing it again. But then the drop comes in. And suddenly we are bopping to this song. Oh my god, god, god. Do I The worst. It's such a bad mix, dude. I'm sorry. It's a great mix. I don't know who did it. I don't know who made it. If someone on the crowd of the show made it or if they got it from someone, it's not very good. Uh, I yeah. know that the song What's Up has a lot of emotional significance for both the show Sensei and the Sensei cluster. But this is so corny. It's too corny for me, actually. We've crossed over. We've crossed the Rubicon into too yeah. corny. And then, like, several things happen at once. There's a weird Sensei in the audience. He's an old man. Do we know who this old man is? Did I miss something, Magellan? No, we don't. We just know that he is a sensei. There's an old man. I'm pretty certain that the whole point is just like, he is a sensei. So they got one. They got at least one more. And he goes, what the fuck? I'm in the DJ booth now. Whispers is here too, because sure, he found it as well. It's obvious, like, they promoted a DJ show. He's going to find it. Let's ride away. Okay, we had a plan. Contingency plan. Let's go ride this jet ski. What? The episode's over. As Riley rides away on a jet ski to escape whispers and the DJ show accomplished question mark, question mark, question mark. Right. Uh, Yeah. It's so strange because it feels like the purpose of this scene, like whispers, it says this was a miscalculation or this was a big mistake or whatever. And Will basically says, no way, man. It was awesome. This was dope. Jokes on you. It was sick as fuck. (laughs) <laughs> yeah um and it's like all right I, uh... I mean it was wildly irresponsible actually 
Yeah. So it's just it's just an odd moment because then it's supposed to be this kind of symbolic like we showed you kind of thing. But that just doesn't read. And there's something really cool about like a DJ show where everybody in the crowd is a sensate and they're all sensating with each other. Like that's how music, yeah. that's how concerts can feel sometimes. And uh-huh. they're not, they didn't do that. Maybe they will eventually actually do that. But right now it seems like they said that and then cashed it in way, way, way too early. Yeah. Like they put a raw chicken in the oven, took it out after 10 minutes and they were like, that's chicken. <laughs> no, it's not. That's a raw bird. He's still clucking. Damn. Yeah. Damn. Oh, damn. Yeah. Yeah. Sensei, it's getting kind of stupid, you guys. What did you think? I have faith that they'll be able to turn this thing around. This jet ski? Yeah. Okay. This jet ski. Any stray notes, Miguel? Let's take a look. Oh, my God. Do a brave. <laughs> a brave single day. Just, I mean... Just to put a stamp on that, what a bummer. Like, that was one of the best moments for me of season one. Mm-hmm. And this cheapens it a bit. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Agreed. I don't think I have any stray notes. I don't have any stray notes either. We said yeah. everything that there was to say that we care about. Yeah. Uh, oh, that Jack Johnson needle drop sucked. Mm-hmm. Why'd you do that? <laughs> what about that scene where Junki is on the TV and Sun punches it and it looks like her hand is a projectile that was thrown across the screen? <laughs> that was kind of <laughs> cool. <clears throat> the trainer is like, I would have done that too if you didn't do it. I, I fucking hated that TV. Fuck TV. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird because like that's just a the same plot beat that she had a little In while prison. ago. Yeah, so... Mm-hmm. It's strange how this show will sometimes cram a bunch of stuff into a plot just to then, like, spin the wheels really hard. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Like, is this why you guys wanted to barrel us towards was a wheel spin? Like, no thanks. That's not what I wanted. Yeah. Anyways. Anyway. That's Sense8 this week. I want to tell you what we're watching next week on Chat's 8, Magellan, if you don't mind. Yeah, please. Next week on Chat's 8, we're watching Season 2, Episode 6, Isolated Above, Connected Below. While Caffius enjoys a welcome surprise, Leto makes a splash at a high-profile event, and Riley works to gain the trust of a sensei that she saw at the rave. We're going to get more old man. Good, mm. I guess. Uh, I have no room in my heart for hate, is the name of Season 2, Episode 7. Will asks an old friend for help as Riley embarks on a risky journey. Kala makes a troubling discovery, and Sun has an intense encounter in a cemetery. <laughs> okay. Okay, you guys. Sure. <laughs> I would like to see an intense encounter at a cemetery. Um, Madge. Something to note about these next two is they're really long episodes. Oh, no. The next one is 67, and then episode 7 is 61 minutes. Are we getting to the point where the show was canceled or where there was a break or something? Um, Hold on, I, can I, check, don't... I can check a release dates for you one sec. I don't know. Was there a break? I I would have thought all of season two came out at once. You're right. It all came out at once except the last episode. I'm guessing they assumed that they would get a season three and then they didn't or something. Yeah, I believe that's... Is that what happened? Well, no, yeah, they got to season two and then like season two, episode 11 doesn't end the story. And then there was a fan campaign. That's why they made season the finale, which is a, a, is movie length. 
Uh, so yeah, I don't know why the, I don't know why these episodes are long. Probably just like action swelling uh, fight mm-hmm. scenes. <sighs> Mitchell, where else can people find you online? You can also listen to me on another podcast called Super Smash Echoes, where myself and my friend Justin uh, play video games related wow. to the Super Smash Brothers franchise. I almost said watch, but we don't wow. watch; we play. Uh, Super Smash Echoes. That's what it's called. Alan, what about you? I'm on a few other podcasts. One of them is called Oops More Anime. That's on scanlinemedia.com, and it's a podcast where my friend Six and I watch episodes of Mobile Suit Gundam, The Witch from Mercury, every week. So if you're into anime, check that out. I am also on The Creature Quorum, which is a new name for our creature discussion podcast featuring Pokemon and monsters from Monster Hunter. We just put out our episode on Pokemon Scarlet and Violet. We had some interesting thoughts, and we started reviewing the Pokemon from that game. And we're going to keep doing, uh, reviewing them until we have hit all of them. We like a lot of them so far. Spoiler alert. They're pretty cool. Mm. Sprigatito. Um, oh, I'm also, every every two months, I put out a podcast called Talking Marketing, where I interview marketing professionals on uh, AMA Boston's like platform. Uh, AMA is a really cool nonprofit organization helping young marketers like learn stuff and become like professionals. So amaboston.org is the website. Talking Marketing is the podcast. Bada bing, bada boom. Um, can you do the plugs on this week, pal? Yes, I can. So there are a few ways that you can get in touch with the show. You can email us at chatspot at gmail.com with your questions, comments, concerns, suggestions. Uh, you're nearing the end of the period of time where you could be a guest host on a Chats 8 episode. So if you want to join us to discuss one of these episodes of Sense8, you should let us know ASAP and you can come on the show. We will gladly have you. You can also follow us on Twitter and DM us there at ChatsPod. Although, uh, you know, I think we're kind of distancing ourselves from Twitter a bit these days. But uh, we still have a presence there if that's the way that you contact people and things. You can join fellow listeners over on Reddit, reddit.com slash r slash ChatsPod, where we have uh, listened to or watched past chat seasons as well as discussed current ones. And you can join our friends and folks on the Discord. That's a benefit for our patrons, $1 a month and up. Uh, Patrons also at $3 a month and up get access to twice monthly bonus content. $5 a month and up gets a thank you right here on the show. Thank you to our $5 patrons, Stefan Six, Pat and Nick of the Brothers in Infinite War, Michael, Marcus, my mom, Lee, Kat, Justin, Jen, and Arthur. You can rate us on Apple Podcasts or on uh, wherever else you listen to the show. You can share us with a friend uh, or an enemy. You can Ooh. check out our website at chatspod.com. You can thank at Camillustrator for our podcast art. And you can listen right now to our chatsums where we make little recommendations for you between now and next time for, for your enjoyment. So, Alan, what's your chatsum for this week? Oh, God. Oh, Lordy. What am I possibly going to chat some? Did I? I don't think I chat some of this. Did I chat some Lady Bird last week? I don't think so. No. Oh, my God. I'm going to chat some of the movie Lady Bird, you guys. Hey, listen up. It's 20. The year is 2017. You are a young teenage girl with a complicated relationship with your mother. You find yourself represented in the 2017 film Lady Bird. You and I, kindred spirits. <laughs> the movie owns. It's really interesting. It's so funny. Uh, it got a lot of hype and like Emmy nominations for Laurie Metcalf, who plays the mom, back in 2017. 
Uh, I hadn't seen it for a while. I don't know what inspired me to see it. I think it was on my letterbox list, and my roommate and I were like, I don't know, I want to watch a movie that's on my letterbox watch list. It's really good. It's fucking great. Have you ever... And I'm not even saying, like, you have to have a complicated relationship with your parents to like this movie. Like, no, it's just, like, a great acting showcase. Shirsha Ronan is, like, on fire in this movie, accurately portraying what it's like to be a, like, overambitious teenager in the suburbs. Uh... It's like a little hokey in spots, but where it hits, it hits really good. Um, so if the movie sounds appealing to you at all, it gets the Alan Seal of approval, and that is um, Greta Gerwig's Ladybird, Lady Bird, which is available on the film streaming platforms. What about you, John? What do you got? Uh, the internet and my mind was lit aflame this week by a video game announcement that there's going to be a Hades 2, which is incredibly exciting. So I want to take this opportunity to re-chat some Hades. What a great game. I revisited it and played a bit this week, and it's still really, really fun. And you know what they did a great job of with that game? What's that? They made it extremely replayable and revisitable with the post-game, like adjusting the different difficulties of your runs and having all the different weapons and types of weapons to unlock and endless combinations of power-ups and stuff just like a really easy game to jump back into and a fun one uh to jump back into as well so i'm re-chatting hades very very enthusiastically and then um i'm chatting a new uh little thing you can do on the internet which is you can talk to an ai and uh have a little conversation with it You can, from OpenAI, there's now a new chat bot named ChatGPT, and uh, it's really good at uh, simulating human language speech type of stuff. So you should go talk to it and Mm. see what it it says. Uh, But Roommate of the Pod Charlie was also showing me some ways that people have talked it into... uh, being being a bad little robot and that's kind of fun too so if you can find threads of people talking about how they like cracked chat gpt or got it to misbehave um that stuff is is, i find it pretty interesting yeah it sounds like it's like it's been in the news a lot because naturally when a new ai technology comes out we look for the ways to break it and to make it do bad things and it's Mm -hmm. unfortunately but truthfully very capable of those things um doesn't mean that it's not still interesting and a worth and worth checking out. I love that. So Chat GPT and Ladybird are chat sums this week, folks. Pretty disparate bits of media to recommend to you between now and next week. Mm-hmm. But hey, that's what we got. After a chaotic pair of episodes, we are out of here. And thank you, Magellan, for being the bug to my whoever keeps writing Sensei and putting more and more bug plots into the show because I can't get enough <laughs> of you. <laughs> Uh, And thank you, dear listener, for listening to this episode of Chats 8. Peace. Bye.